I enjoy some movies, but probably my all-time favorite movie has to be Star Wars Rogue One. I, I love that movie. And the reason I love that movie is because I think that that movie captures the notion of devotion. I, I really think as you watch the last act of that movie, what they capture is the devotion of soldiers to their cause. And they capture it in a way that I don't know of any other movies that have captured it so well. Devotion matters. And Hollywood does a good job. There's a number of movies that actually deal with devotion. Hollywood does a good job of describing what it is to be devoted to something. The problem Hollywood has is they don't know what you should be devoted to. We're going to talk about devotion today. We are to be devoted people. Devotion should drive us forward. Our lives should be marked by devotion. And so we need to check ourselves and make sure that we are living in a way that shows that we are devoted to our Lord and Savior. Our memory verse of the month is 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Would you say this with me? 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. This verse captures the idea of devotion. To live in the way in which you are called. To live on mission. To live for the mission. That's the notion that we have of devotion. We've been in 1 Corinthians for off and on throughout this year. And I want to sort of just remind you to set the stage of some of the things that are going on. We picked up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 a couple of weeks ago, and we dealt with some hard topics. We're dealing a lot with how has God called us as Christians? What does it mean to be a church called out, living in a world, but called out to God? That's really what 1 Corinthians is about. The issues they were dealing with were factions, people who instead of following Christ fully devoted, they had this habit of forming groups, tribes, factions, and following, putting their devotion, their loyalty in their faction. Paul wrote to these groups, and he really says in his letter of 1 Corinthians, knock it off. Stop being devoted to things that aren't Jesus. Put your devotion solely on Jesus. Today, we're going to dig into 7 a little bit further. The first thing Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 was marriage. He wrote about divorce. He wrote about celibacy. He wrote about widowhood. He wrote about slavery. And in all of those cases, what the Apostle Paul wrote is that our focus must be Christ. Today, we're going to see what the Apostle Paul wrote. And today he starts off by writing to those who have been never married and aren't currently married. That's where he's going to start off. Now, some of you fall in this category of you've never been married and you're not currently married. Some of you don't. It doesn't mean that it doesn't apply, that we can't learn a lesson from this. So the text is applicable. 
let's dig in and let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 25. We're going to read 25 through 31 to kick off. It says, now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if, sorry, from now on, those who have lives, wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What the Apostle Paul is getting at here, he's speaking to those who have never been married, but the truth that's sitting underneath this is that devotion to Christ requires the major life decisions be considered through the lens of Christian identity. Our devotion to Christ requires that our major life decisions be considered through the lens of our Christian identity. The text starts off with uh, something that's kind of hard to interpret. The Apostle Paul says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. And people say, well, what does that mean? You have no command from the Lord. All right. The Gospels themselves, starting in Matthew, going through John, that represents about 8% of your Bible. That's the Gospels. Matthew through John represents about 8% of your Bible. Tucked within the Gospels are the actual words that Christ spoke. Those represent even less than 8%. What Paul is saying is that if all you're going to do is follow the exact words that Christ spoke, you're going to miss out on a bunch. There's a lot more to theology. There's a lot more to Christian living than just the given words that Christ spoke. We have to interpret our world through our Christian identity. Paul says, Christ never spoke about virgins, about the unmarried. He never gave explicit commands of how they are to live. That doesn't mean we don't know, though, because we can interpret what Christ spoke. And that's where Paul's going. So the real, real idea here is inspiration of Scripture. All of Scripture is inspired by God. And inspiration demands that we adopt not just the spoken words of Christ for our doctrine, but the entire Bible is our authority. Not every life situation is covered by the words of Jesus. He didn't speak at every situation you'll ever encounter in life. But that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have answers to every situation. And that's really important. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. He's saying about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. Jesus didn't speak about it. But I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because Paul knew the Bible, because the Holy Spirit was inspiring the work, he knew 
the answers, and he's about to give them. The truth could be known because the Holy Spirit, through the inspired word of God, provides it. Do any of you have red-letter Bibles? Red-letter Bibles are a useful thing where somebody, a publisher, has gone through and they've tried to mark the words of Christ in red. Okay? That's useful, but I want you to be careful. Don't fall for the red-letter fallacy. All the other words in your Bible are important too. Not just the ones that are highlighted in red. The whole Bible matters. It gives us a theology through which we can view the world. Paul's point here, I think, underlying the whole text. Serious life commitments should only be made after considering theological principles. That's what it means to be devoted to Christ. To be devoted to Christ means that serious life commitments are only made after considering underlying theological principles. In this specific text, Paul emphasizes to those who are considering getting married. He says you can consider getting married. It's okay to consider getting married. But bear in mind something. Bear in mind the fact that the kingdom of God is what we're ultimately all destined for. Keep that in the back of your mind. It's a theological principle that we can apply to every decision we make in life. We are going through life now. Yes. But this is only temporary. Where we are headed is God's kingdom. And so the Apostle Paul says, because of this present crisis, because of the fact that this all will soon pass, that we know one day Jesus is coming back. One day we will be part of the physical kingdom of God. Keep that in mind. The word for distress here is the same word, or present crisis, depending on your translation, is the same word that Luke uses to describe the distress of the end times. The point really is, the end is coming, maybe in our lifetime, maybe not. But we need to make our decisions in light of the fact that Christ will return. Verses 27 through 28, the Apostle Paul continues on with this example. And really what he's saying here is that an informed decision is very different than a hasty decision. He goes into this long explanation. It's not wrong to get married. It's also not wrong to not get married. If you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. He's, he's really using a lot of words to say, you can get married. That's really what it comes down to, that he's telling these people, you can get married. So why go through all of this explanation? Because he wants them to realize that they actually do have a choice here, but they need to weigh their decision. They need to look at it through a theological lens. If I were to summarize verses 29 through 31 and apply it directly to each of us, what I would say is ultimately our decisions should be weighed on the scales of eternity. That's ultimately 
the lens through which we should look at everything, is on the scales of eternity. We are going through life, and this life that we are going through is a flash in the pan, a drop in the bucket. We should weigh our decisions on the scales of eternity. What does that look like? How do we do that? Well, ultimately, if we live life on the scales of eternity, what you're going to find is that marriage is incredibly important, but not as important as Christ. Yesterday, uh, I had the privilege of uh, officiating Chloe Strong's wedding. Many of you know Chloe Strong. And one of the things that I said, that I say at every wedding, is this is a very important decision. Their decision to get married is a very important decision, but it's not the most important decision they ever made. The most important decision you'll ever make is your relationship to Jesus. That is the decision that will not just change your life here and now, it will change your eternal destiny. That's the most important decision you make is the decision for Jesus. So when we weigh our life on the scales of eternity, the first thing we always look at is Jesus. Paul goes into lots of detail here. If you're married, if you marry, you've not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. What I mean is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if if they do not. That doesn't mean you go around living as a bachelor. Okay? It does mean that your number one priority is Christ. That is what it means. Your number one priority is Christ. He goes on. Those who mourn as if they did not. Again, does it mean that when somebody close to you dies, you can't be sad? No. You're allowed to mourn as long as your number one priority is Christ. Those who are happy as if they were not, does that mean you have to go around sad? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the number one priority is Christ. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. You don't have to go sell everything you own. I'm not advocating for that. Unless Christ actually tells you to do that. Because the priority is Christ. The picture here is that we are completely, solely focused on Christ. Paul is saying, life is full of decisions. Consider the cost of each decision on the scales of eternity. That's the point that Paul is trying to prove. Now, there's a lot of complicated things in here that you know, we won't dive too deep into them, but I did want to just briefly um, dive into verse 28 so that I could speak to it, where it says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What in the world is he talking about? He's trying to present a theological reality. When you get married, you make commitments, and those commitments will change how you even view spiritual things. So I've got an example for this. This took me a long time to figure out. But 
It, it'll make sense to you. Uh, I'm very goal-oriented. Some of you realize that. Some of you who know me know that I, I, I'm very driven to accomplishing goals. When I put a goal in front of me, watch out because I'll run you over getting there. Um, and one of the things that I, I do is um, I have a minimum amount of time that I'm going to read my Bible every day, and I will hit my goal. I, I actually start a stopwatch, and I will hit my goal. It took me a long time to understand the impact and the danger this had in my own marriage, actually. Because I would get up in the morning, I'd start my timer, and I'd start reading my Bible. And Emily would get up, and she'd start reading her Bible. And then she'd ask me a question as she was reading her Bible. And I would, in a very flustered way, stop my stopwatch, answer her question as fast as I could, turn around, pick up my Bible, start my stopwatch, and start reading my Bible. <laughs> and this went on for several years. Um, and then I was uh, attending a conference, and somebody actually spoke on this, and he said, uh, he was a goal-oriented person as well, I guess, because he said, yeah, one of the things that I just realized I was doing this year, and kind of appalls me I was doing, is that I was acting frustrated when my wife asked me a theological question. I was like, oh, no. And he's like, shouldn't I be excited to share that with my wife instead of be frustrated that she's interrupting me? And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Here's the point. When you get married, your priorities are going to change, and it's going to change even your spiritual interactions. By the way, I still suffer from this sometimes, but I do try to do a better job of this. But Paul is saying... Every decision you make must be weighed on the theological scales of eternity. If you are going to get married, it's going to change the way you interact even with God. Because you are now one flesh with somebody else. You are now sharing that with somebody else. Paul is saying, don't make any decisions lightly because devotion to Christ requires that major life decisions be considered through the lens of your Christian identity. Let's make this into an action step. Single-mindedness can drive you nuts. But we should be single-minded in our devotion to Christ. So I want you to ask yourself, what major decisions do you still have to make in life? And everybody here has some. What does it look like to view these decisions through the lens of my Christian identity? Maybe the major life decision that you have out in front of you is the decision whether or not to go to college. Make it through the lens of your Christian identity. Maybe the decision is a job to take. How will it affect your service to your Savior? Maybe the decision is whether or not to have children. Maybe the decision is whether or not to buy a house. Maybe the decision is retirement. Maybe the decision is how to well use your retirement. Maybe it's how to invest in your final years of life. Regardless, we all have decisions to make, and we should look at those decisions through the identity of Christ. That's what single-minded devotion to Christ looks like. You all have experienced single-mindedness, and it's probably driven you crazy at times. 
There was a football game last night. Is anyone married to somebody who is single-mindedly focused on the football game? Maybe. <laughs> um, Wednesday night, I was going to go flying to, to get my currency after church. And so I told Emily Wednesday morning, said, now remember, I'm not coming home when I get done with work. I'm going out to the airport. And Emily looked at me and goes, I know. You've told me like 20 times in the last week. I was single-minded. That's how we should be, though, with Christ. Single-minded. Where everything we look at, we look at, how is this going to impact Christ? Is this going to give me enough time for Christ today? Is this going to affect the amount of time I can spend in prayer? Is this going to affect the ability I have to read the Bible today? Every opportunity we get, we're bringing Christ into the conversation. Because we are excited for the victory that Christ won. More than 35 to 3? Is that what it was? To 11? We're excited over the victory that Christ has won. Single-minded, bringing it into everything we do. Let's go on to verses 32 through 35. Paul writes, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. What's Paul's point here? Devotion is the goal. Married or single, devotion is the goal. In Mark 12, Verse 30, Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Devotion to Christ is the goal. So because that's the goal, we should look at our lives through that lens of devotion. The first thing in verses 32 and really 34 what Paul says is that singleness must be seen as an opportunity to uniquely serve the Lord. Singleness needs to be viewed as an opportunity to uniquely serve the Lord. Here's a reality that we need to acknowledge. If you are single, you have a unique opportunity to be completely and fully devoted to the Lord in a way that others may not. And we should embrace that opportunity. This also means, as a church, by the way, that we should embrace singleness. We should have opportunities for single people to serve uniquely. I hope that we can move to a place where when we see somebody who's single, we don't immediately think or ask, when are you going to get married? Why? Because God might not have that, and that's okay. Singleness is a unique opportunity to serve the Lord. We're going to talk about married people in just a minute. But I want us to recognize 
the blessing that singleness is to our church. The opportunity that that is for somebody to invest in a way that a married person or somebody with kids cannot. We must give people the opportunity to serve. Verses 33 and the second half of 34 really show us that marriage brings particular obligations and priorities. And those obligations, while good, while godly, God instituted the family. That is God's model. But those obligations are also important. A married person is still called to be devoted to God. But that one flesh union that has occurred will change the priorities of that devotion. A married person does not have the ability to just drop everything and show up all the time. That's bad for your marriage. Okay? You should still be devoted, though, to God. Marriage demands mutual submission. Mutual submission demands a partnered person because you now serve together. Your interests may be divided. Your passions may divide, be divided because you are now one flat. Long time to realize that while my goal might be to sit and read my Bible in the morning, that was no longer something that I could necessarily do because that was my goal. That wasn't mine and Emily's goal. And we are one flesh. Devotion to God is still important, but it changes married. Our highest aim should be our devotion to Christ. And that's really where Paul goes in verse 35. What he's saying is, I'm not saying this for your, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. In other words, Paul's saying, Put your focus on Christ. I'm not doing this to just set up a bunch of rules. That's not the goal of this. No. What is Paul's goal? That you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. It's not legalism. It's not a bunch of rules. But rather, it's a way of life. Look at everything through the lens of Christ. Look at everything through the lens of the coming kingdom. So, let me ask you a question. Ask yourself, how is God calling me to show devotion to Christ? Is there an area of life where I'm holding back? Remember, this really had a lot to do with singleness and married. Is, if you're single, is there an area that you've sort of shielded back from the church? You said, you know, this is my time here. Is God asking you in your singleness to give that to him? For those of you who are married, one flesh. Is there some aspect of your marriage that you need to turn over in devotion to God together? Is there some area in your life where it is my area of my life that you need to join with your spouse to turn over to God? 
How is God calling you to show devotion to Christ? All right, let's dig into verses 36 through 40. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels that he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does the right thing, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. All right. Possibly the hardest passage in the Bible to translate. Um, In fact, many of your Bibles may have an alternate translation in a footnote right below it. Because the grammar here is something that people a whole lot smarter than I can't figure out. Okay? And so there are really two ways of trying to translate this. It doesn't matter to us, really, which is right and which is wrong, because the underlying principle in either translation is the same. The underlying principle is the devotion to Christ is to be our primary focus. That's what really comes out of this text. The specific way we translate it is somewhat irrelevant. The key here is that devotion to Christ is to be our primary focus. On the surface, the two translations look very different. If you've got the footnote and it has the alternate translation, you might read it and think, how in the world are these coming out of the same text? And it has to do with some Greek grammatical structures. The principle, though, is that devotion is our primary focus. You can be devoted to Christ as a married person. That's what Paul really wants to point out here. A married person can be fully devoted to Christ. You can do it. It's useful to have your spouse on board with this. But you can do it. You can be fully devoted to Christ. You can also be fully devoted to Christ as a single person. And God might call you to singleness for your entire life, and that's okay. You can be devoted to Christ that way. The real point is that our actions should be completely dependent on our devotion to Christ, not our culture. Devotion to Christ, not culture, should dictate our actions. Paul says, so then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. He's not saying one is best. He's saying either one is okay. One of, I think, the hardest aspects of theology is that sometimes God gives us choices. I actually think this is really hard, really hard, because God knows best, and we tend to go to God and we ask him, What should I do here, God? And sometimes he says, either one sounds good to me. I really believe that's what happens sometimes with God. God says, you know what? I'm God, and I'm way bigger than this decision. And either way you go, 
I'm going to make it work. So why don't you pick which one you want? We don't like that. Like, I think we, we all, if you really think about it, we all like to think that we like to have freedom. But in reality, we're all scared to have freedom. Because if we make the wrong choice, what's the outcome going to be? And God sometimes says, choose it. I'm bigger than this choice. I can make it work. And that's, I think, what Paul's really getting at here. Is Paul's saying, the one who marries, that's fine. He thinks, Paul thinks, I think the one who doesn't marry does better. But it really is up to you. Because your devotion to Christ is what you should really be focused on. The small differences and decisions you make should always be weighed in your devotion to Christ. Paul does give one rule. This is a really important rule. He gives one rule in verse 39. If you're going to marry someone, they absolutely, positively must be a Christian. That rule is right there in verse 39 if you look at it. That's the one rule that Paul gives in this whole text. So this is really interesting. People are coming to Paul and they're saying, you know, can we get married? That seems like, you know, maybe that's bad or maybe not getting married is bad. And, you know, they've got this huge theological mix of spaghetti that they're trying to untangle. And Paul says, you can do whatever you want as long as the person you marry is a Christian. That's Paul's rule. Why? Because devotion to Christ is going to be critical. Do you all remember the WWJD bracelets? I don't, I haven't seen a lot of them around. I've seen lots of other types of bracelets, but the what would Jesus do? It was an interesting slogan. I think the better question to ask than what would Jesus do is how would this affect my ability to serve Jesus? It's more than just what would Jesus do. It's how does this affect my ability to serve Jesus? Paul ends the passage by saying, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. He's being snarky here. Remember, what's the issue the Corinthians have? They've got these factions, and some factions are saying, we're more spiritual than you, we're more spiritual than you. And Paul's saying, put your focus on God, guys. And I think I kind of know what I'm talking about here. That's what Paul is literally saying, is I think I've got the spirit of God too. I, I sort of know what I'm talking about. And my answer to you is simply put your devotion to Christ. How are you living so that your devotion to Christ takes first place? That's really what it comes down to. The passage is all sorts of details about marriage. But really, underlying all of this is this question Are you devoted to Christ? Is he your devotion? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us the ability to make decisions. You give us the ability to take action, to take steps. But I thank you that you also give us the object of our focus. Christ. Someone on which we can place our sole devotion and trust. I pray that we would be fully 
and holy, devoted to you. That every decision we make, every action we take, we be viewed through the lens of Christ and Christian identity. Father, I pray that as a church, our focus would be Christ. As individuals, our focus would be Christ. May we be fully devoted to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.